you know what? I've never read a book like this. What kind of book is this? I do believe this is a new genre of literature. The literary value of this book is that I have created a mythology for street homeboys and homegirls. I think people are grounded in this reality. And this reality is only a partial reality. Mythology gives us so much. And that's what this book, I hope, is doing. That's author Benjamin Boxiata speaking at Berkeley University Story Hour in the library. He's our special guest for today. Welcome to the Open Library Community Podcast. I'm Nick. I'll be your host for today's show. I also serve as the volunteer communications lead at the Internet Archives Open Library, where our mission is to make knowledge and books accessible to all humanity. What I like about Benjamin Boxiata and his writings is that he causes you to see and experience the struggles of others in a very compelling way, uh, particularly his one of his latest books, Pura Neta. He's going to talk a little bit about that as well. But uh, his book, one of the characters name is Cartoon. He goes on this journey to better himself on an educational and spiritual level, sort of like an odyssey. And when he comes back home, the streets from which he left are no longer filled, you know, with gangs and, and, you know, that mean aspect of life that he sort of had been familiar with growing up. Now gentrification has sort of moved in and, you know, things get interesting. The neighborhoods are filled with breweries, cafes and coffee shops and, and all that hustle and bustle. And it's pretty interesting. It takes place in here in San Francisco. It's sort of where I am now. You know, I grew up in the southern parts of the U.S., and growing up in a small town, I was told quite a bit that, you know, the world is is all about black people and white people and white people don't like me. And that's just how it is. And you just have to figure out how to get around the oppression of white people. That's what I was told. But, you know, I really didn't buy into that, so to speak. I think I was really curious in, in trying to build relationships with other people and other cultures and other races. I, I went to a church growing up. You know, I think we had about 500 members or so. You had about 10 people almost in that church that were black and the, everyone else was pretty much identified as white. So we went to basketball tournaments together, played volleyball together, had potlucks. And, and so when I would go to school, I went to school in a predominantly you know black school and the students made fun of me because I went to a predominantly white church. And they also made fun of me because both my parents were in the home. And so they were like, man, you got both your parents, you a sellout. And so, and then they would tell me that, you know, oh, you talk white. And, you know, so I went through that. My, I was like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to not like white people. And that's what I was told. Like, don't like white people. And I thought, but they like me. And I wanted to know, why do we use colors to describe people? That was strange. And people would tell me, hey, man, you're asking the wrong questions. You're barking up the wrong tree. So that's how I grew up. It was I was sort of torn. And and it was this understanding that, you know, people were telling me that white people are out to get me and this and that. And so when I came out to California, you know, my perspective on life really shifted because of the diversity, you know. As I got to know other people in other cultures, I started to see that, sure, again, I'm not big on colors, but, you know, being someone who is black or African-American here in the U.S., absolutely, I experienced uh, issues that were related to, to race. I mean, I would walk home from school and I would have people throw bottles of urine at me and call me all types of names. And so I, I've had my share of 
you know, challenges, but coming out to California, it, it really expanded my view of culture in that I'm not the only person on planet Earth that has challenges, even racial challenges. There are other people have injustices and, and, and social issues and, and economic and educational disparities. And, and that's the power of the writings of author Benjamin Bach Sierra. Not only do they compel you to embrace the story behind your struggle, they encourage you to take a closer look at the struggles of others. And I think that we can accomplish more together than we can divide it. So that being said, I am really excited about this podcast, the Open Library Community Podcast. We will have a range of guests from creatives to artists to writers to people who are working on advancing literacy to people who simply want to share parts of their culture and encourage and inspire others. That said, Pura Netta by Benjamin Boxiata. He has a compelling story. Benjamin Boxiata grew up in the mean streets of San Francisco and he goes on to the United States Marines where he receives an honorable discharge. From there, he enters into law school where he embraces his call to write uniquely, which is a powerful part of his story, which he'll share a little bit about that in our in our interview in here in just a moment. And he moves on to continue to dig deep in his work of advocacy. This is Benjamin Boxiata. Enjoy the show. In an interesting quote that has been published by the San Francisco Examiner, you say that San Francisco can use the pandemic as an opportunity to go back to its roots. You see it as an opportunity to dig up some, maybe even some old bones. Can you kind of help us understand what you mean? All right. All right. Thank you for asking this question, right? Because, all right. So one way to think about the pandemic is that it's, you know, we're quarantined, we're far away from each other, and it is hard. There's no doubt about it that it is a very difficult unprecedented in our lifetime type of situation. However, at the same time, you know, we have this opportunity to like really like investigate ourselves, right? To go deep into who am I, right? By being somewhat separate, right? Uh, also, we've got this opportunity to, to just be thinking and becoming intimate with people. With everything that's happening in the world, we're not just talking about the news, but around us in different places, what we're being exposed to. Sometimes it can be hard to deal with people. You're saying the focus is is people intimacy. With the people that we are around, we have an opportunity to not just slide by, how are you doing, and then just leave, right? You know, like how it was a couple of years ago, you know, hey, how are you? Oh, fine. And, you know, and then everybody just walks away, right? Here we've got an opportunity for deep discussions. We've got an opportunity for intimacy. And I have learned a lot uh, during this past year from the imprisoned Spirit. A lot of the people that I uh, grew up with had gone to prison. My brother 
uh, was in prison. May he rest in peace, right? You know, you know, I had been in and out of juvenile hall. You know, I know how creative that group of mass incarcerated people had to become. That spirit helped me in this situation, right? For example, for San Francisco to get back to the root of what its name stands for. You know, I was born and raised in San Francisco, and the name San Francisco, San Francisco, is for this saint who was based in love, and supposedly this is someone who had so much love in his heart that he could speak and communicate with animals and understand them, and they, he would go and try to just spread love, man, right? What about loss? Or those individuals who have lost someone, families, friends, loved ones because of COVID-19. How do you speak to them when the sting of death in many cases can make it very hard to embrace community or people intimacy? The worst thing is that we're dealing with a lot of death, right? What can we learn in this is, for example, compassion. I've had a lot of loved ones now dead because of COVID. You know, and, and I was able to, for example, just get back to a loved one I hadn't seen in some years, right? His mother died from COVID, so I went to the socially distanced services, but I was able to connect back with him and, you know, as much as possible, offer him my heart and soul and any help that I can do, you know, right? So, so that's an opportunity even there in the midst of death, right? You know, to, to get back with feeling with people. Man, we'll just pause on that note and kind of let that sink in. We'll be back. Hi, I'm Nick, host of today's show. When the show is over, you're welcome to explore the Open Library volunteer page. There are a number of ways you can get involved from our team of developers and designers to librarians and communications. It's an open community just for you. Learn more by visiting openlibrary.org slash volunteer. It's openlibrary.org slash volunteer. Now, let's get back to the show. In some of your writings and speakings, you speak about the spirit of those people whom you've had contact with during some of the most difficult times in, in your life and how you seek to honor them in the present. What does that mean? Those who are in prison and, and that I've known and that have told me stories about, you know, creating different contraptions so that they can get a workout on, right? Or, or uh, you know, their drawing and their beautiful art that they create because they have the time to do it, right? You know, and they're not going to just sit there and die, you know, right? Or let their spirit die. And so that imprisoned spirit, knowing what I know about that imprisoned spirit, that has helped me through this COVID time because I thought to myself, and of course, I have it much better than being in a, a solitary confinement, in being just in a cell, right? And so for me, it's like, all right, with the respect that I have of all of those loved ones who have been mass incarcerated, incarcerated and who got through it and who I've joked around with and who we kick it with, right? What can I do in honor of their kind of spirit and also invent something new out of it, right? And 
me, it's every day, every single day, bro. What I do is I get up in the morning, all right, what, my, my main thing is like, how am I going to use whatever I'm doing to spread love, amor, and good energy, man? You know, right? And so that's like, all right, so that gives me a mission every day. You know, no matter. And perhaps I even uh, have come to that conclusion even more now because of COVID, because I realize people are hurting, man. People are really suffering. They're suffering a lot, man. And so I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm going to go and, and I, I'm going to write to somebody. I'm going to go visit somebody. I'm going to go wave to somebody today, right? And, and, you know, when I go out and I go do my walking and I go do uh, low riding or whatever I'm doing that particular day, you know, when, when I'm with my children, I am going to give them the best of who I am, right? Because I am not going to use my solitude for despair purposes. The staple of my work is going to come through my interaction with real human beings, right? When did you begin to put words or create words on paper as a writer? Uh, really, I started trying to think of writing as an art when I had to start writing letters during the war. Right. And because, you know, it was just kind of all of a sudden we ended up, you know, being the first people over uh, first Marines over in uh, uh, Saudi Arabia back in 1990. And uh, no, no one knew we were going there. We, we just, you know, headed on over there after jungle training in Panama. So I realized in order for me to get a letter, I'm going to have to write. And in order for someone to take the time out of their day to write to me, I was talking about love earlier, you know, I think that's, that's kind of a big ingredient that I thought is, I want to get a love letter back to me, man. You know, so let me write some, some beautiful things here and maybe somebody will write me with love, right? Males and females, you know what I mean? No, but they'll write me with the spirit of love. And, you know, I think maybe that gave me the first boost of confidence is I got some letters back. I don't know if enough people know the impact of when a creator stops creating if i don't write nick i don't feel right i do not feel right if if i haven't written in a few days man there, there's something that's eating away at me right there, there's like this spirit inside of me that is saying hey you know you you need to go investigate yourself because that's a big thing that i think that comes from writing is you get to know yourself and that doesn't mean that I know all of myself. I don't think that will ever happen, right? But it's, it's, I have to look at myself in my face, right? And I can look into the mirror and I can see my, you know, my physical face. But how can I know my mind, right? How can I know my mind? Writing is like a mirror to your mind. You completed your Juris Doctorate degree at the Hastings College of Law as an attempt to elevate your writing. What I found pretty interesting is that you faced conformity in the legal field, yet you found a way to embrace your uniqueness. I think what has let me be my own type of writer is just understanding the root. It was a very popular philosophy, even though people may not have um, uh, analyzed it or they were not able to articulate it, uh, the philosophy of the street for Chicano Latino culture was Vida Loca, right? And perhaps you've heard of that term before. Vida, vida Loca is crazy life, crazy life, you know, right? Vida Loca, huh? 
you know, this, this, this is crazy life. You know what I mean? You know, it doesn't make any sense. There are no solutions. There are no answers. And that has kept me somewhat humble, brother. And so the law was trying to convince me that there is a proper way of life, right? That there is a proper way, a correct way to existence, right? And Viva Loca, respecting it and having seen so much of it in my life, it's a wild world. It's a crazy life. And you know what? I'm going to make the best out of it that I can. I have tried to stay true to that uh, kind of root in my writing. Even without COVID-19, I-, I can think about many different times in my life where the world has felt pressured, hectic, crazy. You'd be hard pressed to find someone who can say there hasn't been that moment where life has just felt crazy or absolutely just wild. I think about even my own personal story where there have been points where I've had to heal from resentment and bitterness from situations that I've just thought life is just crazy. How do you get to that point and how have you addressed that in your writing? Some people think, oh, the world is against me, right? You know, I was all, what ends up happening is you get bitter at life. Life doesn't care. Life doesn't care. If if you want to be angry at life, life is just going to keep being life. And then guess what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? The years are going to go by and then you're dead because that's the fate of everybody. And in the book, we have these characters. The main character, his name is Cartoon, and he was banished. It's actually part two of my first novel. My first novel was called Barrio Bushido, which is loosely translated. Uh, that, that's Spanish-Japanese for street honor honor, right? What ends up happening in the book is cartoon at the end of Barrio Bushido, he got banished from the barrio because the older stock callers from the barrio, they saw a lot of promise in him. And they were like, you know what, man? We don't want you to waste your life right here. You got to go, man. Go get some education. And we know you'll come back one day. The beginning of this book, he comes back 20 years later. It's the year 2012. And now he's in the Mission Barrio, and it's no longer the gangs, man. It's the pools and the microbreweries and the boutique stores and gentrification. It culminates to uh, a meeting that he has with his past mentor, who is now serving life in prison. And he goes to visit him in prison, and they have a conversation, man. And they're trying to figure out, okay, what is our next? I've spoken with writers in the past and they have shared with me how powerful it is to be able to use the pen or writing to preserve the memory of our loved ones. And and you've done that too. No one knows what my brother, my good loved one, Alex, was thinking about 20 minutes, uh, the last 20 minutes of his life when he got shot at 59 times by the San Francisco Police Department. I write what I live, and I live what I write. And everything that I'm saying to you is not theoretical. I've put it, I've put all of these ideas into action. And probably one of the most noteworthy actions I was uh, blessed to be able to lead was Amor for Alex Nieto. That was the name of the movement, bro. 
the name of the movement was Amor for Alex Nieto. And based on my study, that was the biggest movement ever in United States history to defend the honor of a Latino victim killed by the police. Thanks for tuning in to the Open Library Community Podcast. If you'd like to follow or chime in on conversations about today's episode, you can find us on iTunes and Spotify. Or to learn more about the Internet Archive and Open Library, you can visit www.archive.org or www.openlibrary.org. Until next time, happy reading.